well known by many people. Verse 10 we'll cover next week, uh, and that's an important verse. We'll talk a lot about that because that's very important. It's very important when you read verses that you, you understand the context of them by what's, what's around them. People say a good rule is, you know, three above and three below. You know what I mean? Uh, three verses that are above that and three verses that are below that or something like that. Nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Just to have that. Or, you know, read the entire chapter. But sometimes when you start, though, and you read like Ephesians chapter 1, and you read the entire book, then you're starting, whoa, okay, so things come into context. And as you preach through that, these things, you can see there's a continual pattern that Paul is addressing the benefits of salvation. And he's continuing on to, to do that. And what a blessing it is. I mean, man, we've learned so much here uh, from these verses to expound on them and to think about them. And, and Paul is still talking about the exceeding riches of his grace. God's riches and His grace towards His own children. I don't think we meditate on that enough. I think we think about the fear and we think about, you know, our own failures at times and different things like that, but we really forget to think about the goodness of God. As children of God, we are to dwell on the blessings of God. We are to think about them and meditate on God's blessings. We're to think about uh, how good God is to us and, and, and how much He has blessed us and taken care of us and will take care of us. You've got to, I was talking to somebody yesterday about that. I said, regardless of wherever you're at, in that sense, as a child of God, God is going to take care of you because you're His and he's, He takes care of His own. And you have to believe that by faith. You've got to believe God. And that's just it. As God's children, you have to know the blessings of God and you have to believe the blessings of God. Amen. You, you have to believe that when, when things don't work out on paper, when they don't, when they don't make sense on paper, right? You've got to believe God. Because if you, if you have been led by God, if God has been working through a situation for you and guiding you and directing you, you have to believe Him. All the way through it, you have to believe Him. It's not just, you're not dropped down in the middle of something that, that, that has no history, right? It's God working in you, and that's, that's, the, that's what, a, what salvation is. It is God working in you your whole life. And we praise God for that, amen? Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to read verse 7 through 10, just for context here, in that sense, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're going to talk about that, that last verse next week, but we are going to cover... Uh, we're going to start with, in that not of yourselves, not of works, right? And that not of yourselves in verse 8. We're going to back up a little bit to verse 8 and finish up with 8 and 9 here. Father, please bless us now and teach us from your word. Guide our steps. We thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The next point we want to make is that he says again, now remember, Paul is reiterating, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, and that not of yourselves. He reminds us again that salvation is not of us. 
We are not saved of ourselves. And not that, and that not of yourselves. Paul reminds us that salvation is of the Lord, that it is not through man's will. No man wills himself to Christ, and no man calls himself to the Lord. Remember that God went looking for Adam in the cool of the morning in the garden, and God used the preaching of his word to reach sinners with the gospel. He is always looking for us. And if you and I have any inclinations to look for him, it is because he has spoken to our hearts and he has come looking for us. Salvation is of the Lord. You need to always remember that. I think some people, uh, many people, I've said this before, I'll say it to you again, struggle more with eternal security and the, the security and assurance of their salvation. And many times they struggle with that. It's because their focus is always man-centered and not Christ-centered. Assurance comes from the same place that salvation comes from. It comes from the Lord. And it comes from believing God's promises. That's what it is. It's, it's believing God. It comes from God. Salvation, and that not of yourselves. He reminds us over and over again, not of works, and that not of yourselves. Why is that important? Well, because if you think somehow you started the race, you started yourself on that race, you're going you're gonna to come to a place where you think you have to continue, you have to keep yourself in that race. I don't keep myself in this race. God put me in this race. He saved my soul. He changed me and made me a new creature. So it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God's work. Salvation is the Lord's work. And we need to always remember that. And maybe part of the problem is you don't give God the glory. Maybe you're too busy giving yourself the glory. Or you have this, or you have uh, a, a, a self-absorption where you're just looking at yourself constantly with morbidity and, and, and you're looking in the mirror too much. You're not told to look in the mirror. You're told to look to Jesus. You're told to keep your focus on the Lord, not on yourselves. So look what he says here, and that not of yourselves. No good comes from morbid self-examination. Good comes from looking unto Jesus. Because here's the truth of the matter. If there is something wrong with your soul, you're not going to fix it. So what are you looking at you for? It's Christ that will fix it. Because Christ is the only one that can fix it. So why would you look to yourself and your own sincerity or your lack thereof or, or any of those things when that's not going to fix anything? It isn't you that fixes anything. It isn't you that does that. It is Christ. It is God. You simply have to have your eyes off of yourself. Whether it's negative or positive, grossly looking at oneself when it comes to spiritual matters is a trap of the devil. And it will drag you down and keep you depressed and discouraged. It isn't until you look unto Jesus and keep your eyes on Christ that you will be strengthened. Every time a, a Christian has struggles or trials with any of those things, what he needs to do is be focusing on the Lord. He needs to be focusing on God, not on you. You need to remember that. The problem is when you focus on you, you're going to see all, the, all the, the imperfections. If you focus on him, you'll see all the perfections. Well, yeah, but when the, then when I look at him, then I'll see what I really am. Yeah, you will. And then you'll trust him. 
That's how it works. It's not, it's like, it's not, God is trying, God is always teaching us to put our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves, not on anything in this world, but on Christ, because this world is fleeting and it changes and, and, and everything changes. People change. The world around us changes. Governments change. All, everything in this world changes except one. Jesus. Amen. He never changes. And because God is immutable and doesn't change, that's why your focus is to be on Him. And then take your imperfections to Christ. You, you don't hold on to your imperfections and, and worry about them and fuss about them. No, you take them to Jesus and you confess them. Do you ever, you know, as much fear as some people show, I'll, I'll ask you, do you ever take those fears to God? Do you ever share your fears with Him? Or do you share them with yourself? Do you morbidly think about your own fear? I don't even have to ask you that because I know you do. But you morbidly think about your own fears and they roll around in your head and you, and you give credence to them and you build up your fears. Wait a minute. You're supposed to go to Christ with your fears. You're supposed to go to the Lord. And you're to take them to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm, and tell him everything you're afraid of. Do you do that? Do you tell the Lord everything you're afraid of? You should. I mean everything. I mean every down and dirty, rotten, evil thought you've ever had. Every blasphemous thing you've ever thought in your mind. Everything. Every fearful thing that you fear will come upon you. Even damnation in hell. Everything. That you take it to Him. Do you do that? Because if you do... He will give you the only thing that He has. Strength. He has no weakness. Do you understand? God, God, all your weakness that you take to Him, He replaces with strength. Because He has no weakness. There is no weakness in Him. There is nothing that can overpower Him. So you're to take all of your weaknesses and your fears to him and give them to him. Every last one of them. Leave nothing. You won't make God blush. See, Christ is the only one that can handle everything in your heart. Everything in your mind. He's the only, no man can. If you told me the worst thing in the world that you've ever thought, or the, please don't. I've had people do that. <laughs> Just don't. Please don't. <laughs> tell the Lord. Don't tell me, please. Take it to Jesus. Leave it there. Amen. <laughs> don't tell me. I'm not God. I can't handle it. <laughs> Amen. No one can. No one can handle those things. That's why you have a God. I don't mean your, you know, normal struggles and fears. And I'm talking about those things that you would be afraid to mention to any man. Don't be tempted to. Take them to the Lord. No one else needs to hear that. You build your relationship stronger with the Lord when you trust Him. 
And when you entrust him with everything, everything, leave nothing. He already knows it anyway. He's waiting for you to confess it. He's just waiting for you to confess it. He already knows it. Because when you confess it, you humble yourself before him, and then he'll bless you. Amen. Salvation, again, we'll get back to this, is by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is not by man's design, not by man's works, not by man's power, not by man's principles or religion. It is not of ourselves. It is 100% of God. God conceived of salvation and accomplished salvation by himself. Dead people can do nothing. And sinners deserve nothing but punishment. Again, Paul is destroying the notion of a work salvation, of a merit-based salvation, of being saved any other way than by grace, through faith. He is driving it home to our understanding. What was this great work that God had done in the hearts of his people? We never understand the magnitude and the might and the power of the gospel and of being saved. So Paul is explaining it to us, what happened to us, the, the change that happened to us, the deep-reaching effects of grace in our lives and our hearts. People have such a shallow understanding of that. And I dare say a shallow care of it for the most part. They don't want to know the riches of the depths of his grace, the exceeding riches of his grace. You ought to want to know that. What does that mean? Let me find out. And you'll find out many things that you didn't know. You're always going to find out things you don't know. Amen. Next, salvation is the gift of God, not of works. Again, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Paul, again, just drives home that salvation is of the Lord. It is God's gift. God's gift. He's not speaking, I don't say, directly as, as faith, although I think you can, you can make the argument that faith and repentance are both gifts, so we can see that in the Scriptures. But I believe he's talking about salvation as the, the grace of God, the gift of God. Salvation is of the Lord. He's talking about the entire thing of someone being saved, of the gospel, is the gift of God. It is God's grace towards man. Amen. I believe that. He's telling us over and over again that it is God's grace, it is mercy, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justification is said to be by faith, right? We're justified by faith. But what is it? What is overreaching of it all? What is over it all is God's grace. Faith is a tool. It is a gift. It is a tool that God gives. But grace is what saves you. Because grace comes directly from God. It is grace. It is God's grace. That's it. There, there's, no, there's nothing else. It comes from the Lord. God's grace, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified, this is Titus 3, by the way, 
and verse number seven, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's the same message. Paul gives the same message in the pastoral epistles. I love the repetition that Paul gives. It really drives home uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It drives home in each epistle the same message over and over again. You couldn't get a work salvation in this New Testament if you tried. It's not there. In each epistle, he gives the same message, justified by his grace. Acts 11:18 says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Granted means gifted. It's a gift, right? Because Jesus Christ is the Savior. Never forget that the Bible says we are justified by grace. We are justified by faith. Who is the justifier? Jesus. That's just, uh, faith is a tool. It is, a, it is something that God gives. But we are justified by the justifier. Christ Jesus. That's why we look to a person, the sinless and perfect Son of God, where the fountain of all grace flows. Amen. Whatever grace you need, whatever it is you need, and there are many different types that grace covers, whether it's grace to live, grace to die, grace for trials, whatever the case may be, all of those things are given through the fountain which is Christ. He is the fountain of all grace. He's grace personified. The Bible says Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. Salvation is the gift of God. It is not of works. Good works, which we will talk about in next week, are the fruit of salvation. They are not the root of it. That needs to always be remembered. They are, the, they are the fruit of it. Good works, they follow. Right. They follow a heart filled with grace. You don't have to beg a man that gets saved by the grace of God to do something for God. You don't have to beg him to recognize who God is or to serve the Lord. He wants to serve the Lord. Why? To whom much is given, much shall be required. He was forgiven much. See, Paul, he was a murderer, right? He murdered. He said he killed the Lord's church, right? He murdered them, right? So what did he say? What did he say? He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Why? Because he was forgiven much. And he, he, he had, he, he just, he knew he had to. Not, not to earn anything. It's that he was thankful. He was thankful for what God did for him. We serve the Lord out of thankfulness. Amen? I don't even know what I'd do if I didn't serve the Lord. I guess I'd be in heaven serving him there because I don't know what I'd do here. I don't see as if there's anything else for me to do here. <laughs> I, don't see, I don't see anything else for me to do here. Like, I don't have any other purpose in life than to do that. Now, in that scope of everything includes fathering and or being a husband and fathering and doing and you know being a good 
uh, neighbor to, to others and loving my enemies and preaching the gospel and, you know, loving all of you and everything. But that's part of it, right? That's, that's what you do too. You do the same thing. Your whole life is, your whole life is serving the Lord. That's what it is. You raise your kids the way you raise your children because you serve the Lord. That's, that's why we do what we do, but we're not doing it because somebody has a gun to our head or they're forcing us or a whip and they're going to hurt us or they're going to beat us. And we don't, we don't do it because we're forced to. We do it because of grace. Amen. That's why. It's not some slavish fear. Not some slavish servitude. Man, I don't think I have to do anything. I think I get to. <laughs> the way I look at this Christian life is not a have to, it's a get to. I don't have to, I get to. That's how you should look at it. That you get to. That God allows you to. He expects you to. As his child. And that you should lovingly serve him. Of any kind of... This work, it's grace and no more works. We talked about that. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Of any kind of works, whether they be moral or ceremonial, before or after conversion, done without faith or in it, nor of these in any sense. Works are neither the moving causes nor the procuring causes, nor the helping causes or conditions of salvation. The best works that are done by men are not done of themselves, but by the grace of God, and therefore can never merit at his hand, and salvation is put upon such a foot. You should understand that it's not, it's not earning anything. It's not, it's not uh, procuring anything. It's not helping anything. I don't serve God. I'm not helping anything along. God did it all. Grace covers it all. It has, it has nothing to do with any. I'm not proving anything to anybody besides love to God. That's it. Glorifying the Lord. That's why we're here. I have no other reason to be here than to glorify God. If I cease to do that, then I have no reason to be here. And I mean alive, not just here in this pulpit. Amen. That's just, that's the truth. But it isn't, it isn't because of our works that we're trying to do something to, to uh, be approved. He goes on to say, next, lest any man should boast. No man will boast. No man will be able to boast. No man will be able to boast and say that they worked their way to heaven because God provided the Lamb. I believe the Old Testament saints had to wait. I believe they had to wait. See, they worship Christ in types and, and, and symbols and ceremonies. No, they didn't know the gospel like you and I know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They worshiped him in types. I can prove that to you. Ephesians 4, 8, turn there. I'll prove it to you in a number of scriptures that they couldn't boast either about anything they did. Why? Because they were waiting for Jesus to come. Because that blood had to be shed. I'm going to prove it to you. Now, again, I didn't say that a preacher walked around telling them about the gospel and that's how they got saved. 
No, they worship Christ in types and symbols and ceremonies and, and everything else, which the scriptures say. But they still had to wait. They didn't go in, they, they didn't go in there either until Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Why? Because forever and always, he will be the only Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. No one is ever approved of God. Listen to me, and I mean this with everything in me from Genesis to Revelation. No man has ever been approved of God outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. No man could. Why? Who could please him other than, the, other than Jesus Christ? Is there anything that's acceptable to God outside of Christ? No. That's why all the, they worshipped him in types and ceremonies up until he came and died. Ephesians 4, 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. There is no one that will be in heaven because they earned it. It'll be because of grace. This is not to say the old covenant was the same as the new, because it wasn't. Vastly different. Of course, Christ had to come. <laughs> it is not, it is not, is not that, that, is not that the reason that Christ came? It is. They did not know the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but they worshiped in types and symbols. I want you to tur turn to uh, Hebrews 9, 13, and we'll read those verses. See, Paul, who wrote Hebrews, sums it all up. He explains the Old Testament, the New Testament, it makes it all make sense. And he does it in the book of Hebrews, by the way. That's where he does it. And no one could do it better than Paul, earthly speaking, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because Paul was a master of the law. But Jesus Christ trained him for three years, <laughs> right? He was as an apostle, as one born out of what? Due time. And what happened? He met Jesus, and he received those things from the revelation of Christ. And Christ trained him on everything and showed him. Hebrews 9, 13. Look what he says here. For if the blood of bulls and of goats... Now, is he talking about right now in, in this dispensation? Of course not. Because since the gospel dispensation, nobody, nobody sacrificed bulls and goats. That was the Old Testament. He's explaining this. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of a necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. Now turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. 
in verse number 1. So here's where he's going to talk about the shadows, right? The types and the shadows. He says, for the law, having a shadow. Remember, that's what the law is. These Hebrew roots guys can't figure that out either. It's just a shadow. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Everything in the Old Testament was casting a shadow. But it wasn't the substance. Why? Well, you're going to find out what the substance is. But it was all casting a shadow. And not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices. Wait a minute. He said never. Yeah. can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What is he telling you? He's saying that none of that made them what they needed to be. But they worshipped and they served and they weren't wrong for doing it. They obeyed the Lord. They repented and believed Him and they followed Him. And that's how they followed Him was through those shadows and those ceremonies. But what he said was, he said, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? He's asking a question. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Well, of course. Well, why is he saying that? Well, because we have one sacrifice. Christ. And so did they. They just had to wait for him. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Right. He's saying that they went back every year. They had to continue to go back every year and the remembrance of their sin was there for it is not possible Amen. that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin right. wherefore when he cometh into the world who's he jesus, jesus. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. It, it wasn't enough. Why? Well, because... Jesus had to come, even for them. His blood had to be shed for them to be justified. Everyone in heaven will be justified by that blood. That's right. Period. Right. I didn't say everything was the same Genesis to Revelation. I didn't say that. Right. I said they worshiped in types and ceremonies and shadows Christ up until they obeyed the revelation that they had been given. It's called the unfolding uh, drama of redemption. 
and it was unfolded. No, they didn't understand the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. No, they didn't, but they worshiped Jesus because that's what Paul said they did in those types and symbols. But what happened though? He says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. God wasn't, I mean, that didn't please God. Then said, lo, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me Amen. to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, so he's twice. He said twice it wasn't enough. And twice he says what? Lo, I come in the volume, right? He said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God that Jesus come. He said it twice, that he came, and he had to come. I'm tell you what, listen, <laughs> I don't, I, I agree with some points of some people's uh, dispensationalism, because I do agree with it, uh, a number of it, much of it. But at some points I don't, and one of those things is, I don't think they understand the book of Hebrews at all. I think most of them don't understand it. I'm gonna tell you what, most of them do not understand it. Many of them do not. It fits those two testaments together and explains the work of God perfectly. It's not to be chopped up and whacked up so it means nothing. Or it means something over here and something over here, but not something right here. I just, that, that no, I don't agree with that. Because I'm just reading you what the Bible says. I'm not adding my commentary to it. I'm reading the verses. And the verses explain that very plainly. That that's what happened. Again, I don't disagree with all of it, uh, of what they say. I disagree. I, I agree with most of it. There's just some things that I, that I just, I can't agree with. Because I read it and it doesn't, it, it doesn't pan out. So he said, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. established by the which will we are sacrificed sanctified excuse me by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all my my issue is is that what I'm saying is is that there are some people who say well they were saved by works in the Old Testament and we're saved by grace in the New Testament I just, I don't believe that. Do I believe the covenants are the same? No. Do I believe that they, they worship God in types and in ceremonies and they worship the Lord and it all pointed to Christ? Absolutely. Right. Was it the same? No, not what we do. Of course not. But it, it was a picture of it because that's what he said. But also that blood that they shed was a picture. It was a type. It would never perfect them. It took Jesus coming to perfect them and us. That's right. Because no one's going to be in heaven saying, I got there through the law. Come on. Right. No. 
There ain't nobody going to be able to say that. Because how much of the law did they obey and how much didn't they obey? And how much of it, did, how much of it sent them to hell? Because no man obeyed the law. No one loved the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. No one did that in the Old Testament. No one does it now. Jesus did it. Amen. Ain't nobody else that's done it. And they sure didn't do it when they're, they're, they're shedding the blood of bulls and goats. They didn't do it either. They have to be doing that all the time. So what was it? They served the Lord. Yes, did they have repentance and faith. Yes, they believed God. I didn't say they understood the gospel. Again, I'm not like those guys. There's some guys out there that teach, oh, they knew the gospel back in, uh, in the Old Testament. There were preachers wanting to know they didn't know the gospel like that. It wasn't revealed to them. I don't say that. What I do say is, is that they, they worship Christ in types and symbols and ceremonies and pictures leading up to that. And they had to wait for Jesus to come in the volume of the book that was written of him. He had to come and he had to die. Right? He had to. For all mankind. No one would go to heaven. No one would be justified without the blood of Jesus Christ. Them or us. Now, God doesn't ask me today to slay a lamb. He already slayed his lamb. Right? God doesn't ask me to have a burnt offering or a sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled all those things. I understand the differences in the two covenants. What I'm saying is, is that there isn't anybody that's going to be able to say, well, I got here because I obeyed the law. Or it was my faith plus my works that got me here. No, you got there because of Jesus. But he wasn't here yet. Yeah, I know. God looks down from eternity. He doesn't look down through time. That's right. Jesus Christ is the lamb slain what? From the foundation, right? Right. right. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's how God see, saw that. That's how he sees it. So anyway, that's, there, there are men that would disagree with that, and that's fine. But, I, but I, I believe it's very plain, and I believe the Bible teaches that. However, I do know this is the dispensation of grace, and it is not the same as the Old Testament. It is not the same. If it was, then Jesus wouldn't have come. So I, I, I'm not locked into something that doesn't make sense. I believe it makes perfect sense. But, uh, or to try to say that they were the same as us and all that kind of stuff. Because if they were, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. So that's a foolish argument too as well. Anyway, salvation is by grace. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation by works, if it were possible, would allow man to boast as the Pharisee that Jesus described in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. No, we won't be able to do that. Salvation is not of works. Man's works are unclean before God, and none of man's good works can take away even one of his sins. Salvation is not of works, and therefore there is no place for boasting. All boasting is of Christ. All boasting is of Jesus. Amen. If we boast in anything, we boast in the Lord. That's it. In God's goodness to us. 
One man said this way, of his works before God and unto men, wherefore he has denied works any place in justification and salvation, in order to exclude all boasting in man, and has fixed it in a way of grace, and has chosen and called poor, sinful, worthless creatures to enjoy it, that whoever glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. That which I have said through faith, said one, I do not wish to understood, so if I expected faith itself from grace. God justifies the believing man, not for the worthiness of his belief, but for the worthiness of him in whom he believes. <laughs> That's where you have a problem sometimes. You're like, I don't know if my faith was strong enough. Well, it wasn't. I'll help you. <laughs> it never will be. <laughs> okay? I don't know if I believed enough. You didn't. I'll help you. You didn't. Just go ahead and throw that out of your mind right now. I'll, I'll help you with that. I'll tell you that you didn't. Okay? Maybe I didn't repent enough. You didn't. <laughs> You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved from what, because of what he did. It is the worth of Christ, not your worth, not your strong faith. Man, I had some strong faith. <laughs> no. If you remember the day you came to Christ, you were pretty weak, pretty broken, pretty tore up, pathetic. Right? You weren't strong, were you? I know I wasn't. I was a mess. <laughs> I was a mess. I was like, whew, this is bad. I looked at that old preacher, he's like, well, what do you want to talk about? I was like, man, I think I'm going to hell. He's, <laughs> I just looked at him, I was a mess, man. I called Hannah on the phone. I was, I was, we were engaged, and I'm driving down the road, and I get, God's got me on this long three-hour trip, man. I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to hell. <laughs> you probably, some of you remember that, that in your own life, but, man, I'm going to hell. Oh, man, am I in trouble. I just knew it. God was just dealing with me and showing me that, oh, I'm in trouble. I went out there and talked to that preacher. Man, I was a mess. I was just like, he's like, well, what are you going to do about it? I was like, I want to get saved. <laughs> I, just, I just want to. I, and, man, I'll never forget bowing my head like that, man. And after I said amen, cried out to the Lord and said amen, man, I'll tell you what, I lifted up my head and bawled like a baby. It, it like came from the depths of my soul, that, that those tears. That must sound funny maybe, but it just came, you know what I mean? It just came from, like I didn't even know where it came from. I, I told that preacher, I was like, I don't even know where that came from, why I'm crying like that. He goes, he said, relief. That's what that is. That's relief. And by the way, not everybody's experience of salvation is the same way. So don't try to compare what somebody else went through with what you go through and try to, self, uh, try to examine that and be like, well, mine must not be real because I didn't do that. You might not, but I'll tell you one thing. As a Christian in your life, after you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you relatively came easy into the kingdom, you're going to have some trials and tribulations come your way. If you didn't have a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief and a lot of, a lot of uh, those things that happened right away when you were converted, later on in your Christian life, you'll have some. 
God meets with all of his children and God, God brings sorrow and trials and tears and, and, and you know, um, affliction and conviction. It may not be the day you get saved. It may be later on down the road, but you'll have it. It'll happen to you. And because everyone, no one enters the kingdom of heaven without what? Affliction, persecution, right? Through much, what was it? Um, tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom. That's right. You're going to have it. It's gonna, it may not happen right away. Spurgeon talked about that. He said some people relatively, man, they get saved, and it seems like things are, they, they come in, and they, they don't have it. But then later on, wham, they just get hit right in the middle where they have challenges with their assurance of salvation. And they have to cling to Christ, and they have to learn, and they have to grow, and they have to learn to trust God, and they have to learn to build, the, and they have to build their faith, their most holy faith. Right? They've got to be edified, and they got to grow through things, and they have to they have to go through those battles of assurance, and they have to believe, and they have to trust God. Why? Because through much tribulation, you'll enter the kingdom. That's why, whether it's in the beginning or whether it's in the end, you're going to go through it. It will happen. Right? You're going to have to. It's going to happen. That's, that's the Christian life. One man said it this way, the initiation as well as the increase of faith is from the Spirit of God, not only by an external proposal of the Word, but by internal illumination in the soul. Yet faith cometh by the means which man must avail himself of hearing the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God and by prayer. though the blessing of it all is holy of God. Faith may be the channel, but it does not deserve anything, nor is it of merit. It is merely the opening through which all that God freely gives us comes. It is the breach in our defenses brought about by God when we were dead in sins. It is response wrought in us by His Spirit to something wonderful being offered and is perfected in us by the grace of God. We long for salvation. We look to Him for salvation. He responds in grace, granting it to us as a gift. It is only then that He works righteousness within us. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul could not have put more clearly that salvation is all of the Lord. It is of the gracious gift of God. We do nothing towards it, not of works. We simply respond for our own selfish reasons. Amen. See, man, I just didn't want to go to hell. Yep. That's what we do. We respond to our own self, for our own selfish reasons. You didn't, I mean, you, you didn't think it's because you were great or something, right? <laughs> you didn't want to go to hell. And you knew you deserved it. That's, that's not bad. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> hey, man, that's, that's okay. This one man said it this way. He says, we do nothing towards it, not of works. We simply respond for our own selfish reasons and suddenly find ourselves engulfed in the active, unmerited love of God. Thus, boasting is excluded. All of us are basically on the same level. Those who have responded have nothing to boast about, but much to rejoice in. But they cannot say we have responded because we were better than they. Otherwise, boasting would not be excluded. We must beware of making faith a somehow superior work. That it's our faith. That we were strong. No, it's God's grace that is strong. 
Remember that little series I preached called Little Faith? Right? Faith is, faith is God's gift is true, lasting faith. It is not faith in ordinances or ceremonies or in the church, nor is it faith based on what we deserve. It is faith in Christ himself. It is faith in the direct working of God. It is faith in the faithful one. when the apostolic preacher proclaimed Christ, he did not initially call men to a series of ritual acts, nor did he initially ask him to join the church. He called him to put his trust in Christ. It was of faith, not of works. There is a type of so-called faith which is shallow and receives nothing. It is temporary and is passing and fading like the grass. John chapter 2, verse number 23. Turn there. Whoa, look at that weird bug on there. Can I eat John the Baptist? I ain't eating you. Out here. Flew into somebody's eye, sorry. What was that about anyway, huh? It's a sign. No, it's not. I like to know where that bug came from. John chapter 2, verse number 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew their faith was just in what, what he did. But compare that to Mark chapter 4. And we, we, we look at the, the, the different types here in Mark chapter 4, verse number 16 through 17. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness that have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately, they are offended. They're gone. It is, it is a faith brought about by the event of the moment in, these, in, the, in Mark chapter 4, fading when the moment fades. It wants to receive any blessings going, but the person who has it has no real desire to be saved. They do not want to be changed. They merely want to remain the same and yet go to heaven. Such faith does not save. But when a person recognizes his sinfulness and longs to be changed in heart and mind and cries in his helplessness to the Savior, then he will truly be saved. We only have to look at the description of the Pharisee and the tax collector to see that. The one had strong faith, but it was faith in his own goodness in the sight of God. The other had a weak faith that reached out to God for forgiveness and mercy and rejected any thought of deserving. And it was the latter which received God's response. But here it may be asked, if works notwithstanding they are wrought in us by God afford us a ground of glory in ourselves, does not faith afford us the same ground of glory? The answer is no, for it is the very nature of faith to renounce all hope in ourselves and to found our hope solely on the merits of another. It disclaims all glorying in self and gives all the glory to him from whom it derives its blessings. See, that's just it. Do you understand that? When you doubt 
when you have doubts and fears about being a child of God or anything like, and you go through that and you have that, here's the thing that you have to do. That's the time that you have to exercise faith. That's the time that you have to believe God because that is the true denying of yourself. Believing God is denying myself. It is denying everything. It is denying any merit in myself. Some people fight too much with themselves and with the devil when it comes to some things. They don't throw themselves on the mercy of Christ. They fight. You don't have to fight. You have to trust when it comes to those things. You don't have to war with yourself. You have to trust the Lord. You have to exercise faith. You just have to believe God. Amen. It disclaims all glory. True Bible faith disclaims all glory in self and gives all the glory to him from whom it derives its blessings. In this, it differs essentially from every other work. Other works, though wrought in us by God, bring a glory to ourselves, but this of necessity transfers to God all the glory resulting from its exercise. And consequently, neither does nor can nor desires to arrogate anything to itself. Thus we see that this point is clear. Salvation is altogether of grace from first to last. That's Charles Simeon. It is by faith alone that you can apprehend the Savior or be made partakers of his benefit. You must be saved by grace through faith. Your whole life must be a life of faith according to what St. Paul has said. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? That's what Paul said. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But this faith you must receive from above. You can neither come to Christ nor know Christ except as you are taught and drawn by the Father. But you pray to him saying, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You ought to pray also to him, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. You ought to ask God to do that. You ought to ask God to... to uh, to strengthen your faith. You ought to, that ought to be your prayer too to God. There is going to be times, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That was a prayer. He looked at Jesus, and just because Jesus was in person with him doesn't mean it wasn't a prayer. Jesus is still God. He was God in the flesh right there. He looked at him and said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Do you ever pray that, or do you just deny that you have unbelief? Sometimes you and I think that if there's a presence of unbelief or if the presence of faith means that there is not, there is no unbelief. Oh, no. <laughs> no, the, 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 presence, the presence of faith necessitates that there is the presence of unbelief. It has to in a fallen creature. It has to be that way. You have much unbelief in your heart. I have much unbelief in my heart. That's why we're to pray and ask God, Lord, 
I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Amen. That's part of your... See, you have to understand, these are reasons that you draw close to God. Because of salvation is of the Lord. These are reasons you draw close, not reasons that you run away, not reasons that you should uh, be afraid in that sense. But you're to take those things to the Lord to grow your faith. That's why God, that's why the presence of them is there, because you have unbelief in your heart. So you need to take that and pray just like they did. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I have a lot, I'm afraid of my unbelief, Lord. I'm afraid of what I have in my heart. I'm afraid of those things. And God will strengthen you. But when you hold on to it, when you deny it, when you don't accept it, when you don't acknowledge the truth of those things, you're not humbling yourself. You're being proud and arrogant. And you're saying, I don't need your help, God. I just want to sit and stew and feel bad about everything, but I really don't want your help. No. The violent take it by force, which means that you've got to continue to bombard the throne of God to strengthen you. That's what you have to do. You, you, it's not a reason to shrink back and say, well, I must not be God's. No, it's a reason to cry out, Abba, Father. It's a reason to cry out to your heavenly Father. Pour your heart out to him. Weep tears unto him. If you don't have any tears, ask God to give you some. Amen. Ask him to break your heart. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your words. Lord, they're refreshing to the soul. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for faith. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for the trials of this life that teach us to love you and to trust you. Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray.